So today we continue on in our series on the Apostles' Creed, looking at the statements, um, really digging into them, trying to understand what it is we believe. The second statement that we're looking at, last week we looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And today we're looking at the statement, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. In order to explore that piece of the um, Apostles' Creed, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 10 through 21. If you'd like to follow along with me, it'll be on your screen or in the bulletin in front of you. Here's what our scripture says. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the, one, in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, but will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. It's interesting as we look at things like the creed, you really start to question stuff that you've always just taken for granted. And one of the things that I started questioning this week were titles, the titles that we give people, the titles that we give things, things like Mr. President. When you say Mr. President, well, it means something today that's probably slightly different than it meant, I don't know, a few years ago, because of the way that we view the world and the way that we view people and because of the fact that we're so incredibly human. But it's also titles that we have ourselves. I was thinking about all of the titles that I have the privilege of holding. Today, um, it's pointed out that I'm mother. I get the title of mother, and I get to be the mother of three beautiful, wonderful children who also are often not always beautiful and wonderful children because they're children, right? But I, regardless of their behavior, I'm mother. I'm mother in the good. I'm mother in the bad. As Benjamin pointed out just a few minutes ago, I am pastor, which means he's a little bit incorrect. I'm not in charge of everything. Um, that would be God. But I try my best to do what I can to lead us as God calls me to lead. I'm also wife. Wife is a privilege, and it's an honor to be the wife of Joe, and that's a great title to have. I'm sister to a lot of people. I am daughter to some people. I am many things, but not one of these titles fully describes who I am. 
And when you think about the titles that you hold in your life, I bet you there's some you're more comfortable with than others. You know, some of you love the title, Grandpa, Grandma. For some of you, that title comes with pain because you don't get to see your grandchildren as much as you would like to see them. Or you don't have the relationship with your children that you would love to have. But we all have many different titles. And titles mean something in this world. They mean something in the church world that I wish they didn't mean, but they do. I'm a girl, in case you didn't notice, female standing here in front of you. And when people walk into a church and they see a female, they don't often think pastor. In fact, more often than not, when I am doing funerals and um, the funeral people walk into the building, I have been asked on more than one occasion, in fact, more often than not, I'm asked, are you the pastor's wife or are you the children's minister? And I just simply say, no, I'm the pastor here. One time I had somebody say, okay, well, I, nice to meet you, Pastor Alyssa. We'll wait till the male pastor gets here and then we'll get going. And I just looked at him and I said, well, we're going to be waiting a long time because I'm it today. Titles mean something. And we ascribe them to people to help us connect to them, to connect to the work that they're going to do with us, the work, the ways that we can relate to each other. Teacher is one that we ascribe to people. Doctor is one that we ascribe to people. Sometimes we like doctors, sometimes we don't. But titles are important. And when we look at the creed, the words that we use to describe Jesus should be important to us. They should mean something to us. And in this statement, there's a few titles that are given to Jesus. One is Lord, and the other is Son of God. And we need to understand that those titles relate to you and I in a very human way, in a way that should change the way that we live and interact with each other and with the world. And so what we're going to look at today through the story of Nicodemus in John 3 is how those titles of Lord and Son of God should reflect in our lives because they really need to mean something and not just be something that we say that we believe. So let's look first at John 3. John 3 is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a man who had grown up in the Jewish religion. Not only had he grown up in the Jewish religion, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling party. Sometimes if it was a smaller group, it was about 20 people, but if it was the bigger grouping, it was about 71 people. But still, he's one of 71. In all of the Jewish religion, he was one of a few who held the title of Sanhedrin, which meant that he was highly esteemed which meant that he was highly educated, which meant that he knew just about everything there was to know about faith and about God. Nicodemus was somebody who was important in his culture and in his world. At the same time, this narrative of Jesus and Nicodemus tells us that Nicodemus, a man who followed the Jewish faith, 
went to Jesus to talk to him. Now, what we know about a lot of the scriptures so far is that people did not believe in Jesus. There were people who followed him. There were people like his disciples who believed that he was who he said he was. But all of the ruling party, the people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who made up the Sanhedrin, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was Son of God. And they didn't believe that Jesus had the authority to do the things that he was doing. Yet here's this man named Nicodemus who was part of the ruling party that went and sought out Jesus because he wanted to know more. He was interested. He saw something in Jesus that made him curious. And so what Nicodemus does is he goes to Jesus, but he goes to him at night. Now, there's a few ways to look at this. We could say that he goes to him at night because he wants his undivided attention. But given the fact that Nicodemus is part of the Jewish ruling party, it's more likely that he went to him at night because he didn't want his friends to know what he was doing. He saw Jesus. He saw the potential that Jesus had. He saw the fact that Jesus was doing things that were miraculous, and he wanted to know more, but he didn't want those people that he associates with every day to know that he was interested, to know that he might believe. And so he went to Jesus at night, and he asks Jesus some really important questions. He says to Jesus, and he says to, he calls him, the first thing that he calls Jesus, the, t- the title, the label that he gives Jesus is rabbi, which means teacher. Teacher. Jesus is teacher. He says, we know that you come from God, for no one could perform the signs and wonders that you are doing if God was not with him. So Nicodemus recognizes, recognizes as part of the ruling party that Jesus is from God, that Jesus is son of God. And Jesus says to him, in recognition of being there, he says, I tell you that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must first be born again. And this is one of the first times we hear this statement. In our culture, born again means a lot of things. To some people, born again means really mean, angry people who are judgmental and unkind because we put that title in front of us, and then we act in a way that doesn't reflect our Savior. But here, born again means something very specific. And Nicodemus, as smart as he was, says, how in the world could you be born again? I mean, you can only come out of your mother's belly once. Not only that, I'm a grown human being now, so how could I do that all over again? And Jesus says, well, really, come on now, you're smarter than that. But what Jesus says is, very truly I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Of the water and the spirit. And this is an important statement because a lot of people want to take this and make it be very literal and say that you cannot go to heaven unless you're baptized, like literally with the water baptized. That's not what this means. Baptism is important, and it brings us into the the kingdom of God. It brings us into the community of God. Baptism is a great step. It's an important step in growing in our faith. But that is not what we're talking about here. What Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus is a way of living that changes our life. It's a way of recognizing that Jesus is not only teacher and rabbi, 
but that Jesus is Son of God and Lord. And when we're baptized by the Spirit, when we accept Christ into our life, when we move into that phase of believing, we change. And when we change, the world around us changes. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here that makes a huge difference to this culture in time is that it doesn't matter who you were born to originally. It doesn't matter your ethnic background because that's all that mattered before Jesus came, right? In order to be one of God's people, you simply had to be Jewish. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to proclaim anything. You simply had to be Jewish, And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that that is no longer the case. In order to be a part of my family, Jesus is saying, is you must believe in me. You must believe in who I am. You must believe that I am the Son of God. And you must believe these things because in John 3.16, which we get to that famous verse that most of us know because of sports people, praise sports people. But in John 3.16, we're told that God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then it goes further, which is one of the important pieces. We always stop at that one place. But this next piece is so important. It says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but whoever um, is not, does not believe, what, but to save them through him. Sorry, I skipped. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the people through Jesus. To save the world through Jesus. And so there's a few important things that we need to understand that's happening here in this text. Jesus is pointing out that it takes more than saying, I believe in God, in order for us to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is also teaching Nicodemus that it is vital, that it is necessary that we understand and believe and accept that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent intentionally not to condemn us, not to point out our flaws, but to forgive us, but to accept us, but to love us. And that those who choose to believe that this is the title of the Son of God, that this is the work of the Son of God, then they too would also have a place at the side of God in the kingdom of God. And that's a big change for Nicodemus. Honestly, it's as if Jesus came today and one of us went to him and said, Jesus, what must I do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus would say, well, it's not going to church on Sundays. Because a lot of us think that that's all it takes, showing up here. And it would be Jesus saying, it's not being baptized. Because some of us think that all we need to do is accept Jesus once in our life and then be baptized. 
But what Jesus is saying and what translates to us today and what you and I need to understand is that Jesus is taking over the role of master in our lives. When I was talking to Benjamin, I asked him what the word Lord meant. Lord was a word that in this specific time was given to emperors. And not only were they believed to be master of everybody, but they were also believed to have a divine nature, just like Jesus did, right? Not only were you master, but there was also some divine pieces to you. And what Jesus is taking over here is that idea that you are led by anybody or anything other than Jesus. Once you accept Christ into your life, our goal, our work, our walk then becomes learning how to make Jesus not just somebody we say, oh, your teacher, I believe in you, but learning to make Jesus Lord of your life. And that's truly what it means to be baptized by the Spirit, to make Jesus Lord. And what does that look like, making Jesus Lord? Lord means master. Do we want anyone to be our master? I mean, master almost has a completely negative connotation today. Are you willing to allow somebody to be the master of every piece of your life? Not many of us are. Some of us give up some things. Hey, Jesus, you can have all of this stuff over here but I'm going to keep these things and I'll be in charge of this right here. I'm going to be in charge of my finances and I'm going to be in charge of my work and I'm going to be in charge of my kids and my family. But you can have my Sundays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And you can have Wednesday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. But after that, I take control. You see, Jesus as Lord means that we are willing to give over the workings of our everyday life, that we are willing to give over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day, every moment to the one who wants to be our master. And the way that that works is that Jesus came to set us free, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus came to set us free from all of the things that hold us back in the world, free from being slave to sin, But in order to move from being a slave to the things of this world, we have to choose who our new master is. Because there's always going to be something guiding us. There's always going to be something pulling us and directing us. And unless we intentionally choose to allow Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, then we will never fully be living in the Spirit of Christ. Nicodemus had a hard time understanding this, and I get it, because it's a hard thing to live into. When I first accepted Christ into my life, I was in college, and I remember there was one day I called one of my friends, and I said, oh my gosh, every day this week, I did something for God. It was the first time in my life that I'd ever done something like that, and I remember that today. I remember thinking, every day this week, I led a Bible study, or I did this, or I did this, and it was a whole semester because it was my last semester in college, of giving every piece of who I was to God and learning what that looked like. But then I left college. I left the community that I had grown in faith with. I left the people that knew me, that knew how to walk with me. And I went back into the wide world. And you know what I did after that? 
I spent no time with God. I didn't have a church that was my church anymore. I didn't have Bible studies to go to. I didn't have a community that I could walk with. And so then I spent the next, I think, four years living life with a belief in God, living life having accepted Jesus into my world, but not living a life that reflected the lordship of Jesus in my life. Do you see the difference? Where one is, I had accepted God into my life and I was living every day seeking the guidance of my master. And then I left the cocoon of the community that grew me and then my every day was no longer spent seeking Jesus. It was spent simply living life trying to find the right job, trying to find a husband, which I did. Thank God for that. But trying to do all those things that come into this world, and God was way down on the list. And it wasn't until Joe and I moved to Georgia, and we found a church where we became friends with the people around us, where we started living our life for God. We were challenged by the people who were around us. We were challenged to volunteer. This church was meeting in a high school, and so we had to set it up every Sunday, tear it down every Sunday. When we did youth group in the middle of the week, you had to set that up too. It was a whole lot of work, and they needed people to be involved, and we were challenged to be part of that group. We were also challenged to be part of a small group. We were invited to come and learn about God, but then also to be in the lives of people around us and for them to be in our life too. We were challenged and invited to tithe. And I'm going to tell you right now, Joe and I took the long road to tithing. It's not an easy one. I remember driving down the road one day on the way to church, Joe looking at me and saying, listen, You can give them money. You just don't tell me how much you're giving them because I don't want to know. Because it's this war that we have of trust, of belief, of living into what it is we're called to be as children of God. But I'll tell you this. When we finally made the leap to actual tithing, it was Joe that did that too. He had no idea how much we were giving at the time. No clue, because he didn't want to know, couldn't know. But then one day, we're standing at the car, leaving church, and he looks at me over the hood of the car, and he says, it's time. We need to go to the full 10%. And I said, okay. Little did he know we only had 2% to go. He could have been taking a 10% leap there. He had no idea. But that didn't come from simply saying, I believe in Jesus. That didn't come from going to church on Sundays. That moment in his life, in our life as a couple, in our life as a family, came from being a part of a community that walked with us and challenged us, taught us, encouraged us. The day that we were baptized together was an Easter Sunday. I had been a believer for four years, yet hadn't been baptized. And that moment did not come simply because I said Jesus is the Son of God. And that moment did not come simply because I believed. That moment came 
because I was learning to walk in faith with other people. I was learning day by day what it meant to let Jesus be Lord of my life, not simply the Son of God. You see, every title that Jesus is given, Messiah, Savior, Prophet, Teacher, Rabbi, Christ, every single one of Jesus' titles are important to the being of Jesus, to our understanding of the character of Jesus. But the most important one for you and I in everyday life is the one that we state in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Our Lord. You see, the reason why I'm standing here today is because people came around me and taught me what it looked like to let Jesus be Lord of my life. Master of my behavior, master of my mouth. Sometimes it doesn't work, especially when I'm driving in Georgia. But it's a process that we submit to. It's a process that we welcome into our lives. And it's a process that is so important, but it is best found in community. See, that's why we're here on Sundays to do this thing called growing in the lordship of our Christ together. That's how we allow Jesus to be Lord. That's how we learn to do it, by walking with others, by learning from others, by being challenged by others, by volunteering with others. It's in community. A community that will love you, a community that will not allow you to stay where you are, and a community that will work to reflect how Jesus has been working in their life too. If I hadn't come to the orchard at the time that I had, which was the church that Joe and I were baptized in, I don't know that I would be here today. I don't know that Joe and I would still be married today. There are so many things that come from allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life, not simply Christ, not simply Son of God. And so we have a choice, just like Nicodemus did. Jesus points out to Nicodemus that it is so much more than what we've been taught to believe. And that the access to the blessings that Jesus wants to give us, the access to the life that we are meant to live, the access to the good things that God has created for us is available to us anytime, but we must learn to recognize the lordship of Jesus in our lives. So the question we have to leave ourselves with today is what access are you denying Jesus? In what places have you not allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Because when we stand together and say, I believe in the Son of God, and I also believe that Jesus is my Lord, what we're saying is we're allowing Jesus to be in charge. Is that true in your life? 
Is Jesus in charge of your life? There are days when I can say yes, a wholehearted yes to that. But then there's also days when I think, oh, my schedule's in charge of my life today. My finances are in charge of my life today. My kids, boy, are they in charge of my life today. But the only way that we will experience the kingdom of heaven on earth is if you and I step into what it means for Jesus to be Lord, Lord of our lives. So, Today, as we get ready to pray, I'm going to give us a few minutes of silence together. We don't get a lot of that. And I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to lift up our schedule. I want us to lift up our families. And I want us each to ask God to show us specifically those places we have yet to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. God, please show us. Holy Spirit, as you outline to us the places that we have yet to surrender to you, Would you help us to be courageous enough to seek your guidance in giving up control? Giving up control of our families, of our work, of our future. Giving up control of the past and the pain that we carry with us. giving up control of our health. And surrendering these things at your feet. And as we surrender our life to you, help us to choose to walk in community with others so that we can fully live into what it means to have you as our Lord, our Master. God, forgive us for the ways that we vie for control in our life. And we thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus, not to condemn us, but to bring life and light to a world that is broken and hurting. God, heal us so that we can be a healing force in the world that needs you so badly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.